What's up, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode here on RNFM Radio. You're tuning in to episode 159. Woohoo! We're still hanging out on the pulse of nursing, and of course, this is the leading platform for nurses, and we're thrilled to have you tuning in for the latest news, trends, and hot topics with the leaders and thought provokers in our industry. And all of you tuning in, I know many of you have headed over to rnfmradio.com. You've hung out over there. You've gotten your fill over there, and of course, you're listening and tuning in to the podcast. Be sure to hit us up on iTunes to subscribe over there, or check out the How to Listen section on rnfmradio.com to find out how to take us on the go on your mobile device, iPad, Android tablet, iOS, Windows, whatever that is, whatever you are carrying around in your pockets or your purses or your briefcases, and wherever you can take us on the go, that's where we want to be. We appreciate everybody taking us with you. Time is money. Time is of the essence. Time is precious. And we are glad that you're sharing your time with us today. I'm Kevin Ross, hanging out in my studio in Colorado. Keith Carlson is also here with us today. And Keith, I'm going to go ahead and bring you on, sir, and get excited and pumped for episode 159 being recorded on June 17th, 2015. What's up, Keith? Hey, Kev. I'm great. Hope all's well with everyone who's listening, whenever it is that you're listening to the show. Elizabeth Scala will be back in July. She'll be here actually every Wednesday in July. So we're going to have quite a series with Elizabeth, our new guest host. So we're really excited about that. And we have a few potential guests and a few scheduled guests in the pipeline. So stay tuned for announcements about that. And Kev, I know we have a bunch of stuff we wanted to cover today, things we want to talk about. So What's on your mind? Where should we go first? Well, today, Keith, I think what we wanted to do, you and I talked about, is taking a couple of stories, little snippets that we found on nurseup.com. And of course, we have our lovely Andrew Lopez of Nurse Friendly and Nurse Up to thank for this community. We, you and I, Keith, and of course, Elizabeth does as well. We try to chime in there as much as we can because hopefully we have some value to bring. And that's why we have this show We can't often be over there, but you know what? We were looking for stories today to have a little bit of commentary, a little bit of back and forth to offer some value, and Nurse Up is it today. So thank you, Andrew, and thank you to the community over there for being so active and very cool to just ask your questions, put out your stories, put out your business ideas or your career stuff, all of these things. And so Here's the thing. We're going to start it off with a LinkedIn question because we have a LinkedIn expert with us today. Nope, it's not a special guest. It's actually Keith Carlson, and I'm sure I can add something as well. So Katie Haldeman is a user on NurseUp, and Katie, hopefully you don't mind us using you as well, not using you, but mentioning you rather because this is, of course, a public forum, and and I hope it's okay. But you reached out and to the community, and we wanted to add some value to your question. So you were asking about LinkedIn being an important networking tool, and that your dilemma is that you have three distinct nursing businesses that don't necessarily integrate well. And you go on to say that you're a holistic nutritional therapist, hospice end-of-life consultant, and a holistic career health career coach. And, and the question being, should you maintain separate LinkedIn profiles or find a way to integrate your interests in to one profile. So Katie, hopefully we can offer some value today. And of course, for all those listeners out there, hopefully we can share Katie's information so that if you're interested in what she's doing or interested in, then you can connect with her on LinkedIn. So anyway, Keith, the nurse, the leading LinkedIn nurse or nurse LinkedIn, how, how are you, how are you going with that 
You're a leading <laughs> LinkedIn expert. That's a nurse, a nurse LinkedIn expert. What what are you? Who who the yeah, heck are I, you, dude? Who am I? Well, in terms of LinkedIn, I definitely tend to say out there proudly that I believe I'm the only LinkedIn expert online who's also a nurse and nurse entrepreneur. I've been asking people to disabuse me of that opinion, but no one's <laughs> been able to point anyone in my direction who actually is also a nurse entrepreneur and LinkedIn expert. So for the moment, yes, that's true. And in terms of LinkedIn, what I've understood and continue to understand is that they will not allow you to have more than one profile. So that seems to be the case. I know a couple people who've pulled off having slightly different profiles. I don't know how they've done that. Maybe they've used a pseudonym. I'm not sure. But I don't really think it's a good idea to spread yourself thin on LinkedIn. Right. Because I picture LinkedIn as a place where you showcase who you are as a professional. Even if you do a bunch of different things like I do, you can focus your LinkedIn profile on one specific area in terms of your summary and kind of what your profile is truly about in the bigger picture. I think that's a good idea. But you can talk about and mention all the different things that you do and have multiple projects featured on your page. Right, right. And I think going into the multiple profile, Keith, I have been asked unofficially, I guess, or officially, I don't know how you want to say it, but having multiple email addresses and not just at gmail.com, but something like an actual domain.com. I've had LinkedIn you know, you get those automatic emails saying like join LinkedIn at, you know, Kevin at and whatever the domain is. So I think initially LinkedIn is thinking like this could be a new Kevin Ross because, of course, I'm not the only Kevin Ross. Uh, I am the coolest, but you not are, the only Kevin. Without Ross. a doubt. Right. Without a doubt. So the thing is, is that I, I think people initially can get away with it from that standpoint. But as Keith said, and I and I wholeheartedly agree, is that what you want to do is take and leverage all of that expertise, even if it's just different, in a different area. And I'm a perfect example of that. Many people would look at my serial entrepreneurial endeavors as someone who might just not be able to pay attention or finish something that they started, which actually I do a lot A lot of times. I finish what I start, but I love startups and I just love starting businesses. And there are there are businesses that I start that, Sometimes I say, listen, I can't continue to run it the way that it needs to be run. So I hand that off. So then I might just be a silent partner, financial partner, or whatever that is. I digress. Right. I, my profile has everything from nursing, my nursing experience, down to my business consulting experience and tech experience. And people find me on LinkedIn for these various reasons. There are certain keywords that I, that I can win as far as business consulting versus nursing and, and all of those aspects. And so I have this large net where I can capture, you know, a much larger audience because of everything that I'm doing. But I can also break that down into sort of subsections or cohorts of groups looking for me because I might have someone who says, well, I want you to speak about brand, personal branding. Has nothing to do with nursing per se. And maybe it's not even a healthcare organization. But right. they just see my profile on there. Right. That's true. And most LinkedIn experts, myself included, recommend that if you do a number of things that you focus your summary, your all-important summary at the top of your profile on the thing that you really want to 
highlight in terms of your professional career or what you do or what you want to be found for. However, you can also mention the other things because I'm a nurse, I'm a CNO, I'm a coach, I'm a writer, I'm a blogger, I'm a podcaster, but on LinkedIn, I'm really there pretty much as a career coach for nurses, though I mention the other things I do. And if you read my summary, it's really focused on my career coaching. And then I mention a couple other things. So your LinkedIn profile is like a curriculum vitae on steroids. It's a resume on steroids. It's all of these things that about you and you can share them all and you can have projects, videos, PDFs, you can upload images and photographs. You can really make it really robust and fun. So that's really a very important aspect of how to use LinkedIn. Now, if Katie or any of the other people interested in this concept and this notion, if you have a few businesses, you can actually have business pages on LinkedIn as well, aside from your personal profile. Yes, exactly. I mean, that's a great point, Keith. And there are, yeah, your business profiles that you can have on there. So if you own a specific company, then start a company page and post to that, whether it be a job or information, uh, blog posts. I mean, because they have the pulse on LinkedIn. And so you can actually post pulse posts, pulse posts. It's kind pulse of like, posts. it's a little, it's not necessarily a tongue twister, but it, I don't know that it like rolls off the tongue very well, but anyway, and, and you can share them with certain communities or have it relate to certain businesses that you own. But Keith is right. You know, really kind of beef up that summary and what you are. Now I know underneath my name, I'm looking at my LinkedIn profile right now mm-hmm. and it's very specific underneath that it says entrepreneur, nurse, investor, and speaker. Now I have my credentials after that, but some people think, okay, first entrepreneur. Okay. Maybe I'm definitely, I might be interested in this guy. Nurse, maybe not so much, but oh, an investor, like I might be looking for an angel investor in an app that I have or a business that I have and speaker. So like I go ahead and just take that opportunity to, to, to showcase just bullets, four bullets of who I am and some things that I do. And then of course my summary is broken down into basically just starting off saying that I am a serial entrepreneur, you know, building businesses and brands and communities. And then I go into clinical consulting. I talk about business and technology consulting and break it down into those specifics and then talk about my clinical specialties in in the summary. So if people are just that interested and just want to scroll down just a little bit down my profile and and get into the summary piece, that's kind of where I don't, there's not a ton of information in there, but just at least enough to gain access to people who might be interested in hiring me or partnering with me and so on and so forth. I mean, investor gets a lot of people because I have a lot of people approach me like, Hey, I've got this app. I've got this business. Are you interested? So, you know, it it can be, it can definitely be a double-edged sword. It can be a good thing and not necessarily a a good thing. Right. Exactly. So there are lots of different ways to use LinkedIn. I think it's very important for nurses to use it. It sounds like Katie Haldeman over on NurseUp. She is a consultant. She's a nurse. She's a coach. She's a nutritional therapist. So she has lots of things to offer. And I bet if she listens to some podcasts, reads some articles by me and others, and maybe chats with me and chats with other LinkedIn experts and gets feedback, she'll figure out how to put this into a really attractive package. And she might decide to make a business page on LinkedIn as well for one of her particular businesses, or maybe one for each of her businesses. It depends. Right. And LinkedIn, it's just sort of like a, it's almost a showcase for someone who's doing lots of different things like you and me and Katie and other people. It's a wonderful showcase to really show 
the breadth and depth of what you do and who you are and what you're all about. It just gets a little confusing if you do too many things, especially if those things aren't related to each other in any way. Like say you're a gardener and you're a astrophysicist. That might be hard to kind of fix it all into some package that makes sense, that's cohesive. Right. But if you're working in healthcare, it's pretty easy to link those things together. Right. Well, and then, you know, in closing, I think on this whole LinkedIn thing, because I know we could go on forever, Keith, sure. and, and you are definitely the expert. And I, I encourage everyone to hit up Keith Carlson for any of that info and buzz about LinkedIn, because he's in the know for sure, is that it's it's all captured in one place. You're right. It's, it's the CV on steroids. It's, it grows organically. And we always talk about like it's on one page. So all of this stuff, you, you have the headshot and you've got like just the brief stuff and you got the posts, you've got the background, you've got the experience, you've got the educate, like everything is all on one page that you can, you just are scrolling down. So rather than creating like all these additional profiles, like people can really get you or at least a good chunk of who you are and what you do all in one page. So, I mean, the page might be a little bit longer than others, depending on how long your profile is or how extensive it is rather, but still, I mean, utilize the LinkedIn juice, the traffic that goes in there, the search engine that's built into it and all the SEO that goes around LinkedIn, take advantage of it. Because I'll tell you what, my LinkedIn page, I think it's either ranked first or second in Google for me personally. And I get a ton of business and connections through LinkedIn, not just like, hey, connect with me, but literally people who come to me with actual business ideas that oftentimes I'll execute on. Uh, So, I mean, it's, it's been it's been a win. It's certainly yeah. been a win for me. It's a great platform. Lots of people are using it. Back in the day, it didn't seem quite so so cool to be on LinkedIn, but they've made it so robust that it's kind of a no-brainer for most people who are professionals these days. So we definitely recommend it here, and I think lots of other people do too. So, Kevin, moving on, yes. LinkedIn was our first subject. What's next? What else did you want to talk about from very current news. Yes. Well, again, we have nurseup.com and, and the, the forum on Facebook and Andrew Lopez to think on this one again. This one really hit home for me because I used to work at Johns Hopkins and I know uh, Dr. Peter, Protov- Peter Pronovost. So the headline here, and this was from the Baltimore uh, Business Journal, was that Johns Hopkins wants surgeons to stop performing procedures they do infrequently. And basically what it comes down to is the patient's safety and quality, all these outcomes Uh, with patients having surgeries by surgeons who don't do these procedures frequently are not doing so well. Uh, It it definitely increases their their chances of of death or negative outcomes uh, when it comes to having surgery by a surgeon who is not very savvy in this procedure. Maybe they hadn't done it in years. And so I know that Hopkins, so uh, Dr. Peter Peter Pronovost, He's a director of the Armstrong Institute for Patient Safety and Quality. Now, here's the thing. I know that we're, you're thinking like, well, yeah, but you probably don't have a ton of physicians listening to the show. We're going to get to a point as it relates to nursing. So if you have this mounting evidence, as it says, that patients are more likely to get hurt, die, or need extended hospital care when their surgery is performed by someone who does that procedure infrequently, then ultimately that, that triggers like something like, hey, we need to do something differently here. Now, Hopkins... The main campus, they specialized in uh, cardiac uh, surgeries. Anything to do with cardiac, that was their specialty, and that's what I did in the cardiothoracic uh, surgical ICU. Now, they also have a Hopkins Hospital in the Bayview area. So it was Johns Hopkins Bayview, 
and this was not on the main campus, and they don't specialize in that. So anybody who came in with with a need for a surgery, if, as long as they were stable enough, they were schlepped over, not schlepped, they were shipped over, flown over, escorted over, whatever, they, they came to the main campus for these surgeries. So the thing is, is like, I've, you know, Keith, I've heard a lot of stories about nurses, because I think this actually relates to nurses getting turfed over to units and floors uh, when there's understaffing in some units and you get floated to another floor and you feel like you're outside of your comfort zone. And I know that me personally or in my company, we've had nurses come up and say, listen, I don't really specialize in this particular area. Like I don't do peds very well and I don't feel comfortable just yet. So could I not work with pediatric patients for a little while until I kind of get up, you know, with a super user or someone who has a different level of expertise that I can learn from. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know what your thoughts are on this, Keith, especially as you're doing home care, because there's a vast amount of just modalities there as far as like the the diagnoses and the treatments and the medications and the therapies and everything. And some nurses just like I was an ICU nurse. I worked with two patients at most. And going to a floor, I would have been drowning, drowning. Exactly. You know, in home care, there were so many different things we can be asked to do. We have a small cohort of nurses at our agency right now. We have about, let me see, we have seven or eight nurses, including me. So the issue is that we have nurses who have various levels of expertise in various things. I'm mostly an administrator now. I do some patient visits, but I haven't done IVs for a while. I haven't done trait care for a while. So I need to get brushed up on things if I'm going to go see any particular patients. And I will not go see a patient who needs any kind of service or treatment that I'm not comfortable performing. And I always talk to my charge nurse and we talk about the nurses we're hiring and the patients that are coming in. And we decide, okay, who's the most appropriate nurse for this particular patient? And if we get a referral for something that none of us have expertise in, if we can't get up to speed fast, we pass that referral elsewhere because we don't want to put the patients in danger, but we also don't want to put our nurses in danger either. It goes both ways. So when our nurses come on, we have them do some online testing. We have them fill out some questionnaires. We ask them to be extremely honest about what they're skilled at and what they need some brushing up on and what they have no idea about. And that helps us place them where they should be. And it also helps us know what referrals to take and not take. So we're being extremely careful about what we do. Yeah. Well, and I, and I can see this area because we always talk about nurses having this broad uh, scope of working with several, like I said, you could have a nurse come in and, and likely work in a setting where they have very little experience working with peds. I mean, there are additional certifications that you need to work in oncology. And especially if you're, if you're giving, you know, chemotherapy and, and those types of administrations, we, we totally understand that. But like I said, for, for many nurses, it can be as broad as, and I think going into this piece is for general surgery, there are general surgeons out there who do just the whole, they do the whole gamut. And maybe there's a procedure that they haven't done in a long, long time. I'm not talking about general surgeons who do cardiothoracic. I think that's totally different. That's a different sub, that's a subspecialty area. But again, if I think that I could see from a surgeon standpoint, like, okay, is the government or these organizations trying to dictate who and how and what like I do surgery on or like what procedures I'm doing, you might see like this as sort of 
tightening up on these rule the, or these protocols and these rules and regs as far as these surgeons be able to practice. However, again, I would just say like, I know for me, there's no room for ego. And just like you said, Keith, you have to brush up on certain things, i.e. trach care uh, when working with someone uh, with a trach. And I just think that that's just good practice to say like, listen, I am not comfortable in this situation. So I think nurses mm -hmm. who are getting floated to these floors, rather than like kicking and screaming and saying like, this is not fair, uh, put it into a stamp, put it from you know the frame of reference, like, listen, aren't we all here for the sake of the patient to get the patients, the destination of the patient to get out of this hospital or this facility or wherever they are in the safest manner possible and, and hopefully not have them bounce back. Exactly. It has nothing to do with you as a nurse per se. Right. Like you're still a good nurse. But it can affect our egos. A little ego comes into it and we can feel a little squeamish about saying, you know what? I'm not comfortable doing that. Or I don't remember how to do that. Or I haven't done that for five years. Can you show me how? Or I'd better not touch that patient because, boy, I haven't done that procedure since nursing school. And there's lots of procedures I could say about, <laughs> I could say that about. So, Kevin, for nurses listening, if they're asked to do something or maybe even maybe a scrub nurse wants, needs to be in a surgical suite with a surgeon that he or she knows hasn't really done this particular surgery very often. And that nurse is laying his or her license on the line because that surgeon is about to do a surgery and the nurse knows that surgeon isn't maybe the sharpest tool in the shed for that particular procedure. So either in that situation or maybe a nurse just being asked to do something that he or she feels they're not really qualified to do, who do you go to and what's the best thing to say? Well, I think as a nurse, we, we make assessments and we triage all the time. So I think you have to triage your specific uh, situation and, and we'll go into specifics. But let me first give a huge amount of credit again to Peter Pronovost because Keith and I were actually talking about, I, I just, I had the fortunate opportunity to work with him for a couple of years. He was an intensivist in the ICU. So he would be the attending physician in the ICU for all of these post-op uh, patients and then have the residents there and the interns as well. But anyway, I digress. What I want to say is that Peter spent a lot of time creating a culture and a dynamic there that really flattens the hierarchy in this space, meaning that even though he is a physician, everybody was on a first name basis, everybody had input, everybody was welcome to speak up. And basically, I was able to triage that situation to feel empowered as a nurse and know that if I didn't feel good about something, and especially with the residents, and I don't, I don't want to knock residents, I realize that they're there to learn. But sometimes I would say, hey, listen, we need a timeout here. Rather than, than saying, oh, I'm going to go to a supervisor or, or whatever, you know, feel like you're like, you know, blowing the whistle, ringing the bell, whatever that is, calling attention to the spotlight. It was almost, it, he created this dynamic or this culture to say, let's all have a timeout. If somebody does not agree with this or somebody has any kind of input, I want to hear it now before we proceed. Mm -hmm. And so I felt empowered that way. And I, and I think you need to triage your own situation. Do you feel like you have that kind of clout and relationship on your floor with the healthcare providers that you're working with that you could say, hey, listen, can we just take a time out? I need to know just a little bit more about why you're doing this or what you're doing. And if you truly feel comfortable with this, not to say I'm not trying to like dig at your ego here or say that you're incapable of doing it, but could you please explain to me 
this procedure. And, especially, and, if, and if we're not like, if it's not time sensitive, meaning like the, the patient is going south like in the next 30 seconds or a minute, but if it's definitely a per- planned procedure, can you bring me up to speed on this and what your comfort level is right. and, and have them sort of check themselves? Right. That's, you know, there might be some nurses out there who are wincing a little bit because that's a hard thing to do. One, it's hard to put yourself out there saying, I don't know how to do something or I'm really rusty at that because again, it's not just ego in the negative sense. It's also your sense of self as a nurse, your identity. And it's hard to admit to ignorance on one level. On the other hand, it's also difficult depending on your relationships with your colleagues to actually you're not calling someone out. You're just sort of, you're checking in with someone to make sure they're comfortable as well. That's a tough thing to do. It's really difficult. And I feel for people in that particular situation. So any nurses out there or other healthcare professionals, if you found yourself in that particular situation, either being asked to do something you don't know how to do, or you're just not comfortable enough doing it, or you're seeing someone else, even a surgeon, going in to do something that you don't feel like they should be comfortable doing, we'd love to hear about it. And you can get in touch with us by email, text, phone, Facebook, Twitter, whatever. We'd love to hear the story because this interests us. And obviously, with this announcement by Johns Hopkins, that's really something I think more people are going to have to be talking about. Well, and maybe, and again, going from another scenario, so like, we were okay being in front of an audience, meaning because there were interns, residents, the attending, all these nurses, nursing students. I mean, sometimes it's like we were, we would try to minimize the exposure to any type of infection in the ICU by not having a whole crowd of people in these rooms on the unit, but Mm -hmm. it's a teaching hospital. So obviously there are a number of people involved. So talking and having that discussion was just kind of the whole, you know, you kind of got to feel that that was kind of the milieu is like, it was really, it, it was very collaborative it was like a collective of people all the time and so like maybe in your situation like let's say it's a small smaller community hospital where people don't like to be felt like they're being called out in a crowd so maybe you could say hey listen could I have a moment or two uh, of your time maybe outside of the patient's room or wherever that is so maybe you're not drawing attention like hey doc or who whatever profession you are do you really know what you're doing here kind of thing like because I think that's how they hear it especially in front of, of a crowd of course and definitely there are hierarchical issues to consider here right as much as we'd like to consider healthcare a level playing field it's really not right various people have various levels of authority and power and for a nurse to go to a physician especially a surgeon and say Hey, are you comfortable doing this procedure? Uh, it might not necessarily go over very well. So yes, exactly. You always, if you're going to put your head, if you're going to put your head on the chopping block, or you're going to put your stick your neck out there, let's say that we we won't get to the chopping block yet. Right. You might get there. Make sure you assess your relationship with that person first before you take that leap, because that's a huge risk. So just be careful in terms of relationships too before you question someone because that you know that's kind of a tough one right you just want to be a little cautious in your relationships in that particular manner right well and and i think too instead of leading from a a place of weakness is always leading off with a from a place of strength so if if, again if you get floated and you've talked to your nurse manager or managers 
and they've decided like, no, you really need to go to this unit or this floor. Um, and, and they do float you. I think if, if for some reason there's, there's breakdown there, then I think the nurse manager or whomever you're, you're reporting to or need to connect with at that particular space is to say, listen, okay, I'm Kevin Ross and, and I'm coming from, you know, the surgical ICU, you know, my area, these are my areas of expertise or these are where my strengths lie, you know, working with VADs or balloon pumps or, you know, these, mm-hmm. like I'm very comfortable with these types of medicine, medications and hemodynamics, you know, all these things. Like I can just kind of rattle off like a few of my strengths. And then I could say, so do you see me fitting in okay here? Are, are there, is there a subset of patients that I could work with here that could play to my strength so that I can make sure that not just that my shift is successful that I could, but I can make sure that we continue to have successful outcomes with the patients. So rather than saying, well, I can't do that. Oh, I don't work with them. You know, just tell them where your strengths lie. And maybe even if they've assigned patients to you already, maybe they would reevaluate based Mm -hmm. on where your strengths are, you know? Right. Exactly. So that's very important. This is actually part of what we've talked about before, practicing at the edge of your practice. Yeah, like the top of your license. The top of your license, yeah. right. That's yeah. the right Thank term. you, Gail Ingram, for that one. Right, yeah. that's good. And it's also about defensive practice. You want to practice within your scope of practice and also within your comfort zone. So these are areas upon which we kind of ride the line. We walk the knife's edge. So... Just don't walk so close that you're falling off the knife's edge or cutting yourself on the way down. Right. And also don't be so afraid that you can't do anything. You can't act because you're afraid of a lawsuit at every turn. So it's finding that balance in your practice so that you feel comfortable and you're doing things that you you feel good about and that you feel good about your practice in the way that you comport yourself in the way that you move forward in your career. So it's a good thing to talk about, Kevin. And I hope we get some feedback on this because I'm sure many people have been in some of these somewhat uncomfortable positions before. Right. right. Yeah. Well, anyway, I think, I think that was a good uh, topic and, you know, again, thanks to the nurse up community. So moving on Keith, and as we close the show with our, our last little, little nugget here of info, and I know you certainly have some value to bring. So, on Erica McDonald at ericamcdonald.com, her website. And and I was telling Keith, I, I forgot, I think I'd submitted my response to this. So basically, uh, the, the title is Top Nurse Bloggers Tell How to Get More Followers and more followers on social media or your blog or whatever platform that is. And some of you who do listen have blogs and podcasts and uh, social media platforms. And so there are several uh, bloggers and and leaders and thought provokers and and uh, videographers and podcasters on this particular post and you know Keith I'm, I'm sorry you didn't end up on that but hey man you hey. are you're, you're gonna give your input today on how to gain more followers and more engagement and so I was part of that Jerome Stone was part of that and let's see we've got Katie Cleaver on there and let's see Beth Hawks there's several nurse leaders out there and of course we're gonna add in nurse keith today on how to grow more followers and of course i'll add in there of course if you head over to this we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes but you'll have you'll see what i say but i can certainly build on it but keith over the years dude you've been blogging since when 2000 what i started in 2005 dude that is totally ridiculous that is just ridiculous <laughs> Oops, sorry. ridiculous man the fact that you've been doing this 2005 my first 
blog as a nurse and really just my first blog was in 2011. I've been, de- I've been developing sites since the nineties, but, but to actually blog, man, I mean, you are just light years away from where I had, as far as experience is concerned. So what has it been like for you? I know, I know you've, you've had an evolution of your blog over the years, especially when, from when you first started to where things are today. Right. But what has it been like for you to like grow an audience? What do you think are some salient points and some savvy tips to give those nurses out there who are looking to grow their platforms? Wow. Well, thanks, Kevin. I think the most important thing is to write relevant, well-written content. I mean, if your content's not well-written and it's not relevant to an audience that wants to read it, that's two strikes against you right there. So that's a really big thing is to produce content that's interesting. And, you know, you also have to choose your voice. You have to choose the way in which you want to write. So a blog can be snarky. It can be informative. It can be educational. It can feel really formal. It can feel really, really casual. So your voice is actually really, really important too. So starting with the content the audience, and maybe you would say, I guess you'd say the style and format. Those are really important things to consider. Yeah. And you would probably agree with that. Oh, no, I definitely agree with that. I mean, it's got to be relevant content. I think it's got to be highly valuable content. I, I continue to say that at nauseum, I think, for, for people. I, I say high value in that there are plenty of blogs. I mean, there are so many blogs out there right now that you can get snippets of information that might not be that that might try to go a little bit wide but not really deep and i think i that was that was part of my advice is not only just the patience and persistence because i remember when i first started innovative nurse it was probably my family and friends who were reading it so you might have 5 6 10 or 15 people reading it and then eventually you know it gets some traction but you know we we certainly thank our family and friends for that support in the initial phases but i know that that's not my target audience but anyway, after that patience and persistence, I talked about going deep. You can go wide and deep, but definitely rather than trying to say, okay, well, I'm just going to keep posting and posting and posting like every day just to get some content, just to kind of get up in the Google ranks. But I'll tell you what, you will get further, I think, better ranking in Google and I think better engagement and a feeling of authenticity if you go deeper in your posts. So if it takes you a little bit longer to do your research, and write that. So versus, let's say, writing five days a week, some short posts that might not go too deep, rather maybe spend some time and do one post a week that goes much deeper. And it creates a deeper connection and it creates higher value for your community. That would, that's definitely my advice uh, for sure. That was at least one piece of advice that I had. Because I think, Keith, when you write something, I feel like you do go into some, uh, a a level where I feel like I'm actually learning something that I didn't know before or reminding me like to your, your podcast today about the Achilles heel and how that whole, uh, you know, Achilles, how he was now, now what, what is it dipped? His mother dipped him where? Yes. Achilles was not a God. He was actually mortal, but his mom wanted to protect him. So she dipped him in the river sticks to protect him from harm but she held onto his heel with right. several fingers and that was the area of his body that was vulnerable. And that's actually how he died. He was eventually shot in that area of his body. So yeah, the Achilles heel. So what is the Achilles heel of your blog or your blogging style? I'm often looking at my blog. I'm 
looking at the analytics. I'm also looking at what I've been covering and where I'm going with it and trying to see, is there an Achilles heel? Is there a hole? Is there something that people would rather hear? And I have responded to the marketplace. I've responded to readers over time. I used to write a lot more general healthcare. Now I'm focused more on career, and it seems that that really resonates with a lot of readers. So it really depends on on where you're coming from and what audience you're trying to capture. And a lot of bloggers out there will talk about keywords and they'll talk about what time of day you should put your post out. And, you know, I have to say, and I'll say it right here, I don't worry about keywords. I don't worry about whether I'm posting at 6 a.m. or 8 p.m. or 3 o'clock Eastern. I don't really care. I mean, if people are going to like my blog, they're going to like it whether I post at 6 a.m. Central or not. So I don't worry about such things. Plenty of people out there probably are worrying about such things, and maybe their blog has a bigger reach than mine. But I focus on authenticity, authenticity of my voice and what I'm excited and passionate about. And I try to write really well, and I try to not have spelling errors and syntax errors. And I try to produce something that people will enjoy and learn from. Right. And that's most important to me. And, you know, the keywords are there because I'm writing about nursing and healthcare. So they're there naturally. I don't even have to try. And I just try to produce content that people are going to like. And that's kind of where I, I lay down my, my gauntlet. That's, that's just what I do. You know, Keith, I, on the air here, I will agree with you on that. I remember, you know, there's these, there are these gurus who say, well, you know, do this at 4 a.m. and do this at 12 p.m. and all of these things and, and keyword this and keyword that. And yeah, keywords can be, it's, it's about relevance. So if I'm searching for entrepreneurship or business or taxes or whatever, if it's in the content, then likely it depends on how, depends on how you rank, then certainly if it's relevant, I mean, if that's what my post is about, about business taxes or whatever, then it should come up at some point. But again, trying to stack the keywords and, and just put like add steroids to your keywords and things like that. I mean, just write relevant content that goes deep and wide and it and produces high value and then do it in, in I think, many platforms. Post on LinkedIn, post on your blog site, do guest posting. Just get yourself out there because then when you start doing a search for your name, that's like where the value starts coming in is that you're producing not only on just your platforms alone, but on other people's platforms and all these other platforms that have a lot of Google juice. And then you become this authority. So like really pay attention to that. Yeah. And also, as I said, consider other forms of media, such as right now we're podcasting. I said to Keith today, we have a lot more podcast listeners than we do people going to the blog site. The blog site is still getting many hits, but our podcasts are getting like significantly, I think two to three times more listens than, than like say a post. So we know we've, we apparently are hitting something where people want to take us on the go. We, I, I, I'm not joking when I say we're glad to have you like wherever you are, that's where we want to be. This is a way that we can repurpose content and give it to you in a fashion if you're driving down the road or running or walking the dog. It's, you can't read blog posts but you can certainly listen to a podcast. Right. And you definitely don't want to read while you're walking the dog or, you know, driving your car. Could be dangerous. Yeah. You can read, you know, while you're folding laundry, but you know, maybe you, maybe your spouse or roommate won't be happy with the way you fold the laundry. <laughs> and, and you mentioned Google juice. I, you know, I haven't seen that on the grocer's shelves yet, but I'm sure eventually Google will produce some sort of smart water or something to 
who knows what they're going to do. It's it's definitely, it's, it's highly packed. It's concentrated with, with vitamin G. Right. Vitamin G. There you go. Right. And Kevin, today we're focusing on vitamin N and for nursing and nurses. And we've covered LinkedIn because there was a question on nurse up that we thought was really interesting and thought provoking. We covered the issue that Johns Hopkins raised about surgeons not performing surgeries they don't know how to do very well or don't do frequently. And then we talked about writing because Erica McDonald brought up this whole issue of, you know, what nurse bloggers need to do in order to bring more people to their platform, bring them in as readers. So, you know, we've covered sort of career, healthcare on the front lines, and then we've talked more about the writing world, the entrepreneurial world. So there's lots of stuff we still want to talk about, but we're kind of out of time. That's for another show, man. We got, we, we're going to keep we have, going here. Yeah, we have lots of shows coming up. And I just wanted to mention to the audience that we're really brainstorming about what we want to cover on RNFM in the coming weeks and months. So if you have something you want us to talk about, send us a tweet, send us a Facebook post, write us or call us, let us know what you want us to cover and we'll dig deep into whatever issue you want us to raise. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Keith, I had a lot of fun today and I know from the bottom of our hearts here at RNFM and I, I'm sure I could speak from, you know, from Elizabeth's heart as well is that we really appreciate you investing the little bit of time that we have taken of yours today, but hopefully it's not about taking your time, but we've made an investment or you've made an investment and your return has been tenfold. So as always, we hope that you in some way have felt uplifted, motivated, and ready for something that moves the needle for you. Don't give up. Seek out those opportunities, invest in those ideas, and remember that failure is merely an opportunity to learn. Let us know what's working or not, as we'd love to hear from you. And of course, as always, we look forward to having you back here with us again on RNFM Radio. 